Welcome to Transition of Style, the podcast that explores the ways in which personal style and identity meet. Transition of Style is sponsored by QueerCut, a global gender-free marketplace and online community that connects LGBT shoppers with queer-friendly brands and products. Welcome back to Transition of Style. I'm your host, Corinne. What's going on, guys? Hey, guys, today I have a special guest, Hannah Ryan-Smith. Hannah is a writer, podcaster, actor, producer, a.k.a. multi-hyphenate. She's from the Midwest and a transplant to New York. Hannah has just finished Slim, her first collection of poems, and is in development on Shift, a new podcast uh, coming to iTunes this winter. When she's been able to come up for air on these endeavors, she's producing for film and theater, practicing her Italian uh, language lessons on her dogs, and focusing on her voiceover acting work. What's up, Hannah? What's up, Corinne? What is going on? I mean, where do we start? <laughs> well, we're gonna you'll find out where we're gonna start. Trust me. Hannah, listen, I first of all, thank you so much for coming. I love reading your bio and finding out about all the things you're doing. But do me a favor. Yeah. Break it down for me. Tell me about how you got into all this. You're, I mean, you're in film, you're doing a podcast, you're a writer, you know, you're you're a voiceover actor. Tell me about all that. Like, yeah. How did you get into all that? Sure, yeah. Um I can first of all, thank you for having me. My pleasure. My, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be here. Good, good. I can boil it down to one moment that really kicked it off for me, um, that led me down this path, shall we say. I was five years old. Okay. I was watching Steel Magnolias. <laughs> I come from a long line of loud Southern women. And uh, I remember watching the funeral scene with Sally Field. Okay. And I, I was five years old. I think I was five. Okay. God, I hope I'm getting that year right. <laughs> okay. I was born in 83. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 80, by 88, that film had already been released. Okay. Um, and I was like, what is this? How is she doing this? At five years old. Right. I, you were impacted I, at five years I old? I want to do that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's, the, it's probably the number one reason that like Steel Magnolias, which is not the world's greatest film. It's not the... It's a great film. No shade. Yeah. But... It's the film that I go back to for comfort, even now, thirty years later. Wow, really? Yeah, I know. I know it verbatim. There's no other. I mean, I, I know I can quote some movies with the best of them, but there's no, there's no film that I know verbatim, right? Except that one. Wow, and so that's what that, you were like. That, that started this this awareness of oh, you can actually, this is a thing that you can do, right? Like people on films are not just like separate entities that live in the box of the TV, like. This is a thing. Right. You right. can do this. This is amazing. And that kind of sparked my love of... My parents really encouraged my love of artistic expression and film and would let me kind of... I think largely because I was a very well-behaved child, <laughs> the obedient oldest child, I uh, I kind of got carte blanche to do whatever I wanted in terms wow. of... There was no like... And maybe my parents were also young and kind of hippies, but there was no like. You just happen to mention that. Oh, yeah, you're like, let me let me throw that in. Let's throw that in there. <laughs> there was no major sense of like censorship or let me protect my child from the world. She can't watch R-rated films, etc. I got the freedom to watch and expose myself to whatever I wanted. Wow. Okay. So that's yeah. that's pretty incredible because that I'm sure there are plenty of people out here listening to this podcast who's like, that was not my experience. Yeah. I mean, you know? did I understand? For, for sure. I've, I've met a lot of people who have not had that experience. Yeah. yeah. But 
did I, I had no context for what was happening in the film. Like I didn't know what Shelby was dying from. Like I had no idea. I just knew that somehow I was really connected to what was happening in front of me and that a person could like find a way to endeavor to make a connection with, with me through the screen. Wow. Well, so it was so I, fascinating. So to me, I, th- what I find fascinating about that is that it's a very complex thing to, to sort of take in. For a five-year-old, yeah, yeah. that's a very complex thing. So you don't know, for you to understand, okay, this person, you know, these people are acting. They're on the screen, they're acting. And you're like, somehow you connected with, like, they are acting, and yet they're communicating to me some very real emotion. Yeah. So that, wow. I was, okay. I mean, I was a total weirdo. Like, I mean, I was the, <laughs> I was the, the child who was always in the corner reading, you know, oh, I was... Wow like the New Yorker at age five and six. Okay. Who's I, I was guys? definitely like, who is reading the New Yorker? No, no six? one. No, was anybody. I was, I was a total weirdo. I mean, I definitely an was watching Batman in the, in the purple tights, by the way. I just want you to know, like it was not, that's fair. I, I was, was there too. I was there too. I had a, I had a, you know, I had younger siblings. And so I often, you know, watched all the normal stuff that kids watch. Yeah. Zoobly zoo, all kinds of, you know, Thundercats. I was all about all of it. Oh my God. Don't mm. get me started on that Thundercats. <laughs> don't get Lion-O. me started on Thundercats. Don't get me started on Lionel because I have some special feelings about Lionel. Chitara okay. for me. Oh my okay. God. Okay, girl. Okay. I get you. I get you on that. I get you. There are plenty of Chitara fans out there. Let me just mention that. Okay. Well, listen, I, first of all, that's incredible that mm-hmm. you would connect with that at age five. Talk to me about your coming out, though. Oh, sure. I want to yeah, know yeah. more. I want to know about that. Because now you just gave us some context about your parents. Okay, I want to know what. <laughs> right, we're going to like. jump from age five to age 19. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so I, my parents are amazing human beings. They're so welcoming and sweet and really love each other. Like that to me has been the most amazing thing about growing up with them amidst many frustrations. Um, you know, they're not very financially stable people. They're not um, the kind of people who would on paper have their shit together. Okay. But they are, they're more like older siblings to me in many ways. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they were 21 and 24 when I was born. Oh, wow. Okay, that's young. They were babies, right? That's, that's really young. Yeah. 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 So I, I've never, and this might speak to my, which we'll get into on another podcast, I'm sure, uh, my problems with, with authority, uh, because I didn't really have any. Um, you know, there was never like the, you will respect your elders here, you know, I, and, and I did. I so did. there was no Cartman respect my authority sort of <laughs> no, no. at all. No, it was lost. very so much like, 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 I accept you for who you are, be your own person, but they they were just trying to fucking figure it out, right? Like, sorry, can I can I swear on this? Oh, podcast? you certainly okay. can. <laughs> they were just trying to figure it out because they were they were babies, yeah. and they had three of us. My mother had my brother, the the youngest. By the time she was twenty seven, she had three children. Whoa! You know, it was yeah. the it was the eighties. It was a different yeah. time, yeah. but fascinating. So, I knew from a really early age. This this leads to my coming out story. Um, that. I was going to have to pay for college on my own. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to get the fuck out of Indiana. Yeah. I'm from Gary, Indiana originally. Yeah. And was just like, I, I see enough to know that there's a lot out there. Not that like, I thought that I was highfalutin or better than Indiana. Of course. Um, it's my home. I yeah, love it. Sure. But I just knew I couldn't, I, I had to spread my wings. I had to fly. You wanted more. Yeah. I wanted more. Wanted more. So I, I went to. I applied to some conservatories in Chicago and in in Ohio and, and places that were like. See, here's the thing: when I was 
go figuring out how to go to college, I, I had no assistance. My parents couldn't afford to help me. They're super wonderful, but they're pretty removed parents. They're like whatever the opposite of helicopter parents are. <laughs> that's my parents. No hovering, guys. No, like the opposite you of know hovering. What? Figure it out. So there was no like, let's go drive around college campuses and figure I literally applied to the places where I could afford to apply. You know, it's not like I even, I wasn't even aware of the possibilities of like, maybe I could go, go abroad or go to New York or go to San Francisco. I, I was like, okay, Chicago's in my backyard. So that's the closest thing to a city I know. Sure. I'm going to apply to schools there, right. to conservatory programs there. Um, and, and the rest, I'll figure it out. I'll have some backups in state because it's super cheap. Yeah. You know, so I got into a couple of conservatory programs in, in Chicago. And, and when I saw the sticker shock of like, oh, this is going to be, I'm going to leave here at 22 years old with a hundred thousand dollars of debt. Jesus no, I, I can't. So I, I ended up going to IU to Indiana university, go Hoosiers, um, in Bloomington. And that was largely because it was in-state tuition. I was really interested being a multi-hyphenate, like in doing other things than acting. And so I was able to get a double major in creative writing and acting, and then a minor in film, and a minor in gender studies, and a minor in, and, and a minor in Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things that I was really interested in, I had this platform to do it, and it was all at my at my fingertips, and it was all affordable, and it was great. And even then, you know, I had at eighteen years old um, when I decided to go to IU. I was like, okay, it's and it's four hours south. Like, it's a good experiment to try and leave home and be far enough away that I can't get back home easily. I really have to stand on my own two feet. Um, but it was still like, you know, a, a non-trivial amount of money yeah, as of a kid who had none, you know? Wow. So um, I, on a whim, just happened to be at a career fair when I was visiting. Mm-hmm. And I, my mom was with me randomly and she, she had a more conservative upbringing than my father and, and um, more of more members of her family happened to be um i'm not i'm not conflating conservatism with patriotism but more members of her family happened to be in the in, in the military and i passed the uh the rotc detachment at iu and it was like an air force and army presence at, at indiana university there was no navy no marines no coast guard no nothing just these two and the guy who is Shout out to Captain Scott. He's a wonderful guy. <laughs> the guy who was our sort of recruiter was there. And, and we, we got to talking about um, theater because I was holding a pamphlet and his, he and his wife and daughters had just seen a play and we, we just started talking. He's a very good recruiter, I now know, mm. retrospectively. Um, but we just connected on a he- very human level. And then I went, went for coffee with him um, at the ROTC detachment, which was like an old converted Victorian house. The basement level was the army and the upper levels were the air force. And I learned all about, you know, building structure and, and this sort of, um, financial freedom that I could have if if I, if I joined, I had no interest in being in the military growing up. No, no modeling that said like, we're a military family. You know, my parents were like the antithesis of that. Sounds like it. But I, I craved structure so badly because I didn't have it. Right. You know, I right. was the oldest of three children. I made the lunches for the kids and got them up in the morning. Mm. I was the one who sort of like facilitated it. And now I, I realized I really craved it. Yes. And so here was this person who was, who was not scary, it sort of humanized the military for me, mm. gave me this freedom to, to see that I could, 
I could actually have some kind of financial relief if I joined. And, you know, just... And the structure. Gave me this, like, yeah. here... I, I, we would get up every morning at, like, 6 a.m. Yeah, that, you can't get more structure. No, no more structure. <laughs> and it wasn't... It, it was really... And there are... there's Here are a group of, of babies, essentially, who are in the same boat as you. Like, there's this bond that you have that's very unique. Like, you're part of a, a massive Big Ten university, but you're also in this tiny group of cadets where you're learning life skills, you're learning time management, you're learning physical fitness, all of this stuff that I just didn't have. Like, well, it sounds like it sounds like some of it what you what you were getting what you may not have gotten from your parents you were getting there, right? That's a really good observation. That's awesome. Yeah, you were, like, no, you were that's getting, you were getting the stuff that you, that you and, and the sense of security and stability course, that I didn't yes, have growing yes. up. Well, kids so, that, yeah. right? So I joined. I got a and I got a full ride scholarship from wow. and and it was beautiful, right? Wow. And this but this leads to my the biggest existential crisis of my until very recently oh, adult bad. life. Why oh, bad? So let's let's get into that. Yeah, let's so get... I was so the way the military works in terms of ROTC, the, the academies are different because they're very very intense and it's usually like the cream of the crop academically, physically. Uh it's like Harvard with steroids, right? Like yeah. no, no offense to the academies, but yeah. um those people graduate as like captains, which is like three rungs up in officer officership in the military. Yeah. ROTC is like one step above enlisted troops, right? Okay. You have a college degree, you graduate as an officer, you become what, what's known in the Air Force and the Army as a second lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Um, the Navy has a different structure. Um, but you, you basically enter into this thing and, and, and you're set. Basically, the, the, the nuts and bolts of it, unless it's changed, but I don't think so, are that you, you, know, you serve through your college career... And then to pay it back, you have to serve four years postgraduate okay. in, in whatever branch of the military you're a part of, right? So it's, and it stands for Reserve Officer Training Corps for, for mm-hmm. listeners who might not know. Mm-hmm. So I loved it. I was like, I was happy to be physically fit. I was really, really healthy physically for the first time in my life. I was like meeting people from different parts of the world. I was, I mean, that was goes for my whole college experience, but... This particular little club that I was in was just wonderful, but this the so, the the first semester of my sophomore year, and for context, in ROTC programs, the summer between sophomore and junior year, so halfway through your career, in the ROTC program, you go to in the Air Force what's called field training. A lot of us call it boot camp, but that's actually a Navy term. Okay, um, it's the same thing. Okay. Field training. It's it's what that those weeks of intensive people right. screaming at you yeah. <laughs> physical fitness it's it's the thing that puts you to the test right. mentally and physically right for 4 weeks in the summer between sophomore and junior year you are you are just beholden to this structure and once you're done and you enter into your junior year you are contractually obligated to the air force there's no getting out Whoa. that's when that's when the deal is sealed whoa Really? So then the next six years of your life, junior, senior year, and the next four years after college, you belong you're, to the Air Force, that's right. right? You are, you are, right. you're in, uh, there. you're yeah. in, yeah. You're, you're in, you're locked in. Um, for whatever reason, the fates decided that I would meet someone in my comparative literature class where we were writing papers and studying Metropolis, which How is- How would you define meet someone? <laughs> meet someone. So I was in this amazing comparative literature class. Right. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And we can we can walk back my sort of awareness of my 
homosexuality later. But I will say that I was one of the least self-aware. I was just so busy and had a lot of stressors that I think children shouldn't have going from through childhood into college. I was just trying to find myself with this new freedom of of survival, freedom, freedom to eat what I want, get up when I want, where I only had to take care of myself. That's where. Yeah. So awareness of my sexuality was like not at the top of the list. Yeah. Right. right. Like I had boyfriends. Right. You know, I was a I'm not a gold star. Like I gave it the old try. <laughs> but I, I I was in this amazing class talking about all these amazing things. Namely, I remember the topic at the time. It was Metropolis, which is an incredible film. Um, and learning the skills of writing about literature and film and in a comparative way, hence comparative literature, right? Um, and there was this woman, who I will not name, but she knows who she is, um, who I'm still friends with. And she came up to me after class one day and said, I, I'm, I just really like what you have to say in class. Um, you know, would you be interested in being friends? And it was so direct and so kind and so altruistic and i had never experienced anything like that and i didn't have problems you know making friends i'm as we've discussed i'm a taurus i'm fairly outgoing like people connecting people and connecting with people is what i do you know basically every day and even from a young age and i i didn't balk at this i was just so stunned but there was another feeling that was coming up Oh, I, I, know couldn't, that I couldn't quite identify, right? <laughs> I know that feeling. This familiar feeling that I, I had in high school, right? Where I was like, definitely more interested in being around the company of women, of my female mm-hmm. friends. Interesting. This is going to be very interesting. Right. Okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so she and I became really fast friends. Yeah. Studied together, hung out together. She was the president of the Free Tibet Society at IU, which was well, just awesome. hilarious right. and amazing. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> Um, but she had a boyfriend, so I didn't, you know, I didn't, there was no palpable awareness of what was going on inside me. That makes sense. That makes sense. And here's the thing that I could be controversial. I don't actually believe in unrequited love. Okay. Molly Ringwald actually said this on a podcast a few years ago. Um, and I agree with her. The, the idea that there's, you feel something for someone. or or the actuality that you feel something for someone is not something that unless you're a sociopath, you can conjure up on your own. If you feel a connection with someone, it's generally because it's reciprocated because there's a chemistry there. You're not making it up. Yeah. I totally agree. Right. So that, that in retrospect, that's what was happening. Like I felt something that I couldn't define. I just knew I wanted to be around this person. Right. Which would draw the way. Let's go back to this. It wasn't just you. Right, mm-hmm. there was a chemistry there that spoke to you, and you and you were you were getting something, you were giving it out, and you were getting something back. Correct, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were a few a few months later, um, I finally just decided I think I might be bisexual, and I told my best friend, who my dear friend Paula, and uh, at the Buckhorn truck stop in in Northwest Indiana, where we hung out in high school because there was nothing else to do. We were there on um, some sort of holiday break from college. And she was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Great. You know, and that was just the beginning of my, my slope toward full lesbianism. But, um, you know, you know, I, I just I want to understand this. So this is because I've heard this so many times and oh, it yeah? happened to me when I came out. Oh, when, yeah. So, guys, and I just want to like I want to break from your story for a minute. Sure. If you're out there 
and you're listening. Like, think about the fact that when I came out, the same thing happened to me. People were like, oh, you already weren't, you're just not figuring, I thought you already, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. Like, what the hell? Listen, I was wearing overalls, but it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Wait, it's overalls are the marker of... They thought I was gay because I was wearing the overalls. It's so insane. I'm like, guys, wow. I would have loved to know about this. You know, it's like, it's insane. All right. Could someone clue me in, right. please? I, I was the last to get the memo. It was the saddest thing. So uh, clearly that happened to you as well. Yeah. All right. Well, well, the people who were nearest and dearest to me, like, knew that I was never really wowed by my boyfriends. I was like... I don't know. Like, what's the big deal? Like, it's fine. Right. Sex is like, yeah, oh, sure, it's fine. Yeah. And no offense to men out there. Men are lovely creatures, sure. but I, I had, I just, I just thought maybe there was something wrong with me, you know. And and I met this person. We became great friends. And then a few months later, later at a a, a Burmese restaurant, <laughs> I decided. God, are you guys kidding? Having me? some like <laughs> having some Burmese food, some ramen. <laughs> I. I just couldn't take it anymore. And I didn't plan it. And I was just like, all right, I already know that I like women. I'm just going to tell her like, she's got a boyfriend, but you know what? If she, if she adores me the way that my other friends adore me, fine. I, something in me just said, go for it. And well, I did I know fully expecting that she'd be like, Ugh, God, okay. Like, that's really sweet. You know, right? Like, don't don't tell me this. I'm not interested. In this. Or, yeah. or I I hope it doesn't like dampen our friendship. I just couldn't take it, and I was much younger and had less control over my hormones and emotions. And <laughs> I I was just like, I am in love with you, and I don't know Holy what this Christ. means. Did you say that? Mm-hmm. Okay, what did she say? She she took a long pause, and I thought, and I even ended the comp- my statement with. If you never want to talk again, that's fine. I've prepared myself right. mentally You're for like, this. <laughs> I'm happy to, to bow out. Dinner's on me. It's fine. And she took this long pause and grabbed my hand and said, I feel the exact same way. Holy crap. Okay. Let's stop there for a hot minute because holy Christ. Oh, really? I was on like every, I felt like every nerve in my body okay, was guys, on fire. Do you hear what she's saying? Go for it. Just go for it. Always. You never know. Just go for it. Let them 19 know. Nineteen-year-old me Let was like, know. "I can't. Go for it. I can't describe this. I don't really know what's going on, but I love this woman, and I want to tell her." Wow. And that's incredible. It's not just a friendship. Something is blurred here. Yeah, it was incredible. And she said to me, "The relief that I felt in just knowing that I wasn't alone—that like, or crazy, you or are crazy. Like, Damn, am I crazy? Like, is this yeah, like, yeah. is it just me? Right." Wow. She said, "But there's," and then she said his name, his you know, the boyfriend. And she was like, I can't, I can't, uh, I don't know. I don't know what this means. I'm, I wasn't expecting this. I thought maybe it was only one-sided on her part. And, and here I was thinking it was one-sided on my part. Oh, and um, yeah, so I was both, de- I don't know. There must be a word for this somewhere. Maybe there is. Maybe the Germans have coined it. A word for this feeling of total elation and relief but like soul crushing. Oh my god! Like oh my I am god. validated, and I can't have you. <laughs> that is the worst. Oh my god! That is the I mean, worst. I don't know though. It would have been much worse if she was like, "You missed the mark." Okay, I am so not interested. Worst, I am not interested in you at <laughs> Possibly all. Possibly second worst. You're uh-huh. right. You're right. right. Second worst. I think yeah. so. So I I went home, cried myself to sleep for about a week, and um, you know, we still continued to hang out, and I. I just loved being around her. So I wasn't going to throw it out the window for this, you know? 
Um, and I'm not in the business of breaking up relationships, by the way. That's not something that I'm comfortable with. That's right. Um, and so what went down post the first two weeks of sort of, you know, grieving was that I, um, I was literally three weeks out from going to the Elf- Ellsworth Air Force Base for field training for ROTC. Mm-hmm. And I was shining my shoes and I, I had memorized the entire manual that I was supposed to memorize because I'm a very good student, unsurprisingly. <laughs> and my roommate, God bless Marcy Nelson, if she ever listens wow, to this. Get a shout out on that too. Yeah, you got a shout out. <laughs> um, she was this woman who I went to high school with who we, we, we weren't close friends, but we were close enough that we could like help each other out when it came to like, Hey, I'm driving back home. Do you need anything while I'm, while I'm up there? Or she would bring stuff back from my parents' house to me and vice versa. Um, she was a nutrition major. She was, was so different from me. And we never had like deep conversations, you know, it was all very surface, but we got along well. And she found me on the floor in my bedroom, shining my shoes, just openly weeping and having an anxiety attack because I was, this is in the era, let's, let's all take a step back and remember, this is in the era of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. This is 2002. Yeah. And, you know, post-Clinton, early Bush years, it was not a time where one could be out and be in the military. So I'm dealing with this existential crisis of my, of my own self that's deeply, deeply personal. And then there's this thing that I love that I think I want to do that doesn't accept me. Yes. Um, I'm also a fallen Catholic, so I'm like dealing with letting that go. Right. Wow, that's a lot. Um, and I'm in love with someone who's in love with me, but can't be with me. It was a lot for a 19 year old to contend with. Right. And Marcy just saw me in this state and, you know, I walked through what was happening with her and she said, <laughs> okay, so what would happen if you just came out? If you just lived, you know, your truth. Let's let's literally we made a pros and cons mm-hmm. list of what would happen if I just lived my life authentically wow. as a bisexual or gay person, right. you know, as a woman who loved women. And in the end, you know, I'm not going to die. We concluded uh, I, I would have to probably leave ROTC, but the things that I loved that were more important to me trumped it you know my my artistic career my my love life um my being accepted for who i am it was just like a no-brainer right and so i wept in her arms for about an hour i got up off the floor and i I lived three blocks from the air force rotc detachment i went to the detachment i literally did the the whenever you show up unannounced um to a military officer's office you have to go through the motions of knocking on the door, saluting, doing the whole thing. I did all of that. And then I proceeded to tell the colonel, who was the head of our program, you know, I, that I couldn't do this. And I was the third in my class. Like, they thought for sure that I was committed to the Air Force. And, and I was deeply in many ways. But this discovery just, you know, it's interesting. Now I could have lived both worlds and, and been perfectly happy. If I were a college student now, how? Because we don't have this "don't ask, don't tell" rule. We have people, you know, gays in the military can live openly, and it's okay, right? In theory, right? right? Right. I, I was so young, so confused, so coming to terms with everything else, and I felt like I was letting everybody down. 
even though my personal life was filled with people who, including my parents, who were super supportive, which I'll get to. But this moment, this moment in time, my coming out story kind of happened in a huge sort of feverish rush in three hours. One day, I'm packing and getting ready for field training. Marcy comes home, sees me in a panic attack, calms me down. We go through all of, all of the scenarios. I conclude I have to leave the Air Force. In three hours. I'm, I go there. I tell the colonel I can't do it for personal reasons. And I'm honorably discharged from the Air Force right there. He's very warm and welcoming. And later, I actually told him my rationale for, you know, that I had, a, I had a, 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 an existential crisis because I was a gay woman. He was more than lovely about it. And I called my mother five minutes after leaving the detachment and came out to her. And she was like, much like Paula. Oh, I know. <laughs> Thank oh. you, Barb Smith, for Holy not cluing me into that earlier. Um, well, in her defense, she did actually clue me in a little bit earlier. But um, okay, well, you have to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one of my cousins came out, and then she found out about it early in my freshman year in college, and said, "You know, I just want you to know that if you, basically telling me that, like, because my cousin came out, and it was really a huge thing for the family." it's not really a big deal in the long run and that she loved me and wanted me to know that if I ever wanted to come out, you know, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. She was trying to help me out the closet and I just couldn't, I couldn't, I was not prepared. I wasn't aware enough. I was 18. You weren't ready. A year and a half later, I meet a woman and that helps me sort of. Well, that does not always help. Right. It always helps. (laughs) So that was my my coming out story was literally a three hour period in which I had this breakdown and I went to, I, I, I withdrew from the air force and I was honorably discharged. And then I called my mother and then I called my best friend and like, Basically, that night, my friends all came together and we had this amazing dinner party celebrating it. And it, it couldn't, I mean, it was really traumatic and really intense, but it all happened in like the span of one day. How does that even, that, that's fascinating to me. Like, that you could, had so much happen in, in a, the, like the span of an afternoon. That is incredible. Mm. Wow. Yeah. It I was mean, really and, and at that age, to have to deal with so much over such a short, period of time. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you actually dealt with that. That's insane. Yeah, I don't know either. It was it was almost an out of body experience. Wow. Well, listen, so what I want to glom on and to in that story was your friend in a little way. So the friend that found you on the floor weeping hmm. but that showed you the kindness and showed you the in some ways gave you the permission to go ahead and sort of be who you are. Mm-hmm. Right? So she she didn't look at you and go, well, wow, you, like, you can't do that. Like, yeah, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Like, she said, okay, so what would happen if you, what would be the worst thing to happen if you just came out and you just were who you were? Like, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. You know, I mean, like, this is, it's so important to have community and people in our lives that let us sort of, I don't know, just give us that permission, open that door, like, have be those welcoming hands or, or those arms to let us fall into who we are. I'm so, so glad you said that. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It is. Like that's like you can never forget this person now because that <laughs> person really it's like in a way changed the course of your life in many ways. I Yeah. In fact, I think about her all the time. Yeah. For I that can, reason. I can see why. Mm-hmm. I can see why. What a beautiful thing that she offered to you. And you know what? She may not have even thought about she, I don't think she's aware. Yeah. She's since married her high school sweetheart, who I love, who I knew in college, has two beautiful babies, two little boys. 
and she's a nurse. And yeah, I, it's interesting. I've recently decided, you know, the next time I'm home, I'm going to make a point to go see. She lives like 10 minutes from where we grew up. Because and I just thank her for that. You should. Because it was really, she has, I mean, she has no idea. She's not someone who I ever considered to be a deep soul. Yeah. <laughs> and yet she's like, in our day-to-day interactions, I, I couldn't relate to this person on many levels. And, and she really saved me. Yeah, I just feel like sometimes we have these people who come out as sort of angels in our lives, right? They, they come and they show up when we need them. And they may not even really understand what they're offering us at those moments, but they give us something that we need at the moment. We take it, yeah. and it, it really it, it fortifies us in a way that we're not aware of, right? So she, she was just doing what felt natural to her at that moment. Yeah. She didn't know that she helped you in the way she did. Like She sounds like she still doesn't know. And she gave you exactly what you needed. Yeah, she you did. You know what I mean? She gave you exactly what she just let you be you. You know, so... One of the things that this, the reason why this podcast exists in many ways is because I, I am trying to make sure people understand the importance of being okay with being themselves, right? Yeah. It's very, very important. And I don't think that people make the connection between how you live your life, how you affect other people that come in contact with you when you are not being your authentic, true self. What she did in giving you the permission is made you someone who can now pass that sort of permission on to someone else. Yeah. You know, walk through your life in a way that's Mm -hmm. kind and like giving. It's so important. Mm -hmm. It's so important. So, you know what? Don't underestimate the kindness that that you show people. It's not a small thing. It's not. You know, it's really not. not And frankly, it's really not a huge effort to extend kindness to people. It is not a huge effort. But I think that people don't understand. Like, they're like, you know, like. I could take it or leave it. Well, like, you know what? The person that you're interacting with maybe can't at this moment take it or leave it. Maybe they need <laughs> an act of kindness, yeah. right? Maybe they need that permission or something, just a kind word. Yeah, you maybe know, they're like, on the floor shining their shoes they, and crying. <laughs> maybe like they I are. Was. Maybe they are. <laughs> and maybe they need to stop shining for a minute and get some words of kindness, <laughs> right? You know, so, like, you know, kudos to, like, Marcy. If you're out there, Marcy, we're seeing you, Marcy. You're, you did it, you know? That's, she did it, That's yeah. freaking awesome. All right, so listen, we, we're we're past the time, but I but I have to. Mm-hmm. I, I still need to go into some other things with you. Yeah, please, right? please. So you came out, right? Yep. Clearly came out in your life. You decided to like you know live your authentic self and be who you are, and like you know like live in your queerness and be there. So when you came out, tell me about how you identify. Yeah, so I am a lesbian okay. um, who. Largely is attracted to women who identify as lesbian, who Mm -hmm. are uh, feminine or slightly, I have a spectrum of of taste, but more feminine leaning presenting women. Um, I am also a feminine presenting woman. Um, And, you know, that's not to say that I'm not attracted to some women on the butch spectrum and some women who are slightly more tomboyish, but I myself you know, tend to be a femme woman who's attracted to femme women. Okay. Largely. So, perfect. Okay. So, so mm-hmm. thank you for, for, I mean, you know, you know, here on, on this podcast, we, I accept people who want to identify who don't want to identify. Mm-hmm. I, I am always of the mind that you are what you say you are. 
and I would treat and, you as such. And, and with that's... the knowledge that that could change right. at any moment, and right? And you can change. That is your decision. It is a personal Absolutely. decision. So we're fine with that. So the thing I want to understand and, and what we wanted to just discuss just a little bit was we want to talk a little bit about the invisibility that sometimes feminine women have within a very queer world, like in, in a queer sort of community. It's like sometimes they're not seen. Sometimes they're like just not looked. They're just sort of it's overpassed in a way, you know, it's like sure. they're not really given the, you know, the attention that is necessary. So what from I want to understand as somebody who feels like they are more feminine in their presentation, like what is it like for you to feel seen in a queer community? Do you feel seen? And if you don't, what do you do or what do you feel like you have to do to be seen? I mean, as I've gotten older and more assertive and more comfortable in a in in expressing myself in a way that's I even hate to use this phrase, but like a little more masculine, a little more forward, a little more um, just gregarious. It's less of a problem, but it exists in in that it's not easy to identify other queer femme women, right? People don't easily identify me or peg me as queer, right? And so it's hard to meet women who I'm, I'm attracted to lots of femme women, but by and large, like I've, uh, I, I am, especially in my younger days was definitely privy to being a straight girl's experiment. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. like, because I, I, I just couldn't identify or find the women that I was attracted to who were also queer. So it was like by curious straight girls was like, Okay, I guess that's just my type. Right. But there are we we exist, you know, we're not unicorns. Dating apps have helped tremendously. I was, I was going to ask you. I would imagine in, in the age of dating apps, you, it's like, it's oh. health correct in, in yeah, some yeah. ways. Exactly. Right, Thank God. Otherwise, it's like without a dating app, how is this happening? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's you run the risk of hitting on women who might not be at all into you. Now, not that I was like hitting on women on the street who were feminine, but in a gay, even in a gay bar setting, you're, you're, you're in the presence of queer people. You're safe, right? You see a feminine woman who you think is attractive. And for me, there was an assumption and definitely a heteronormative assumption within the queer community. She's femme. She's pretty. She's probably into butch women. She probably won't want anything to do with me. Interesting. Okay. So that so, was the assumption. Yeah, an assumption that I made based on completely ridiculous heteronormative stereotypes. So I just finally, you know, 10 years into my my um, self-awareness as a queer woman, decided, fuck it. Like, yeah. I'm just going to go for it. And if they're not into it, they're not into it. That's if right. they're If they're into women who are more masculine presenting, that's fine. That's right. What's that's the right. harm in just owning my quote-unquote masculine energy and just being very forward and... and asking right so that's helped me a lot like i've just gotten in touch with both parts the feminine and the masculine and and by the way i don't think that to be forward is to be masculine it's just sort of a it is again it's heteronormative it is it is and and, you know we we all fall into these roles of like what it means to be a male or female or like masculine or feminine it's like 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 aggression is not owned by men masculinity the guys are the ones who go go for the girls you know what you can be just you can be who you are be aggressive and have nothing to do with masculine masculine energy or you can claim that if you want to as well right Right. I think for you Mm -hmm. it was like what else were you gonna do like sit around and be like I don't know like (laughs) 
Like, how is this going to happen? Like, I hope that pretty girls who are feminine want me. Like, no, that that was just going to be a lonely, right. passive existence, and right. I'm not a very passive person. Well, and nor should you be. And right. you know what? So it's it's so you went for it. And you're like, you know, I, I have this this whole idea of like, if 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 when I'm broadcasting for you doesn't work, change channel. Like, yeah. Literally, just switch the channel. Pick up the remote, switch the channel, turn it off. Oh, that was you know, very well said. And you know why? Because not everything's for everyone. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't put it out. Because the people who want it will get it. They will take it. They will they will turn that tune into that channel, and they're going to be there, right? So yeah. if you go to, up to a woman, and that's not her thing, she can say it's not your thing. She can say it's not her thing, right? It doesn't mean you should stop you know, absolutely. The women and saying, "Hey, I'm attracted to you. Would you want, do you want to go? Can I buy you a drink?" Yeah, like, it's fine. Absolutely. Like, turn the channel, folks. If yes. it doesn't work for you, turn the channel. Just like no one has to be listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> Don't work. I, for I you. hope you are. Turn it off. But I hope but you like, are. But if you are, great. But for, if it's not for you, then it's not for you. It's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, you know? Coming to terms with that. That, but you know what? That takes that takes a tremendous amount of self awareness and self love. I agree. Which, which translates to confidence. I totally and agree. And that is something that I've, again, I, I use the 10-year marker that by the age of like 30-ish that I really came into. Yes. Great for you. Good. Thanks. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, so, you, so now I'm, I'm just not afraid well, to approach women. It does. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's not personal if they decide they're not interested. Like, they just, that's not what they're into. It's totally fine. Like, completely. Right. It's, it's really okay. So, but, but here's the question. Like, I want to go back to like, it, as somebody who is... You know, more feminizing. How do you feel? Do you feel seen in your community, though? Yes, I do. I do. So that's never um, been a struggle for you. Never feel mm-hmm. like you, you hadn't been seen, or no, not really. I mean, because look, if I show up at an event or a bar or a venue where the queer community is representing, like there is an assumption that I'm queer, so I'm I'm welcomed and I'm loved, and that has never been a real struggle. Good. Okay. You know, like that's yeah. that's. For me, it's more the interpersonal relationship piece that's been more of a struggle. Being accepted by the community and recognized, I'm grateful to say that, no, it's not a problem. So, so speak to the interpersonal piece that you're saying. That it, I mean, that that's, it's largely what I've been talking about, right? It's, it's the figuring out how to meet women um, and then figuring out our roles, respectively, within the dynamics of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, because in hetero relationships, it's much clearer cut um, or at least on paper it is. I'm, I'm always happy when I meet straight couples who really just share the work that needs to be done to keep the household run t- running in a way that's not at all stereotypical. It's just like, yeah, actually he's better at this and I'm better at this. And this is ju- just what we do. Right. Um, yeah. So that's, that piece has not been a huge struggle, thankfully. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, largely it's, it's, the the part that's been the struggle is the is the connecting with people who I'm attracted to because I happen to look and present the way that I do. And one piece of the struggle that I, I never really realized until I was in my, my longest term relationship um, that, that recently came to an end was that my partner is more masculine presenting. And we happen to live in an area, we moved to the suburbs, where she encountered because she was more masculine presenting uh, a lot of subtle microaggressions and discriminations that I didn't because the piece of the feminine presenting invisibility, that's all, that's a drag that we're talking about that we're, that, that 
that's very clear, but there's a flip side to that, and that is passing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a feminine woman who passes for straight. Like, no, I I judiciously came out all the time in ways that, that basically weren't real coming out, you know, situations. I would just talk about my wife very freely in like job interviews or Mm -hmm. social settings. So I didn't have to keep coming out to people. I would just treat it like it wasn't a big fucking deal because guess what? It's not. Um, so that wasn't a huge deal, but people would make an assumption otherwise that I'm straight because of the way that I present physically. Yeah. And in being married to someone who was in a situation where she wasn't, she was more masculine presenting that highlighted another piece of what this is to be a femme in the queer community and what privilege it is in some ways. Now I I hate to say the word privilege because it doesn't feel like a privilege to be passing for straight, but it's only a privilege in the sense that I'm not being actively discriminated against. That's right. That's right. And my partner was, and I I finally saw it really like for the first time when we were living in the suburbs and she encountered just, you know, unwanted stares at the grocery store or, and I can't speak to her story because that's hers, but I'm just talking about what I witnessed being on the other side of it. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, there is this, you know, real trick and, and toughness and, and um, sort of sadness in being a feminine presenting queer who, you know, likes other feminine presenting women in that it's a struggle to meet people. But on the flip side, like my community has really welcomed me and I haven't been discriminated against in an active way by the, you know, the world at large. Yeah. And I, I got to bear witness to that, unfortunately, and and see my partner in pain by this sense of otherness that I never experienced. Yeah. And it taught me a lot. It taught me to be, yeah, your frustrations are that you can't meet women and it's difficult, but you are safe yeah. walking down the street. Well, this is very true. This is very true. I mean, you know, being in, also being in a relationship where, you know, my partner watched me, you know, be at the you know sort of the end of that of that sort of discrimination it's it's not easy no it's not easy and i'm sure that you you got to get a glimpse into that when you watched your partner dealing with it and it's a very tough thing so you're right so you know you don't want to say the word privilege but it is privilege when you can pass because you're not you're, you're not really in a situation where you have to deal with the unsafety of it. Yeah. You're not in a situation where you have to deal with the stares and the, and the homophobic remarks, which are all very real, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah, you have your own struggles. Yeah. You know, to and, and my partner was, was initial when I met her, was very, was more feminine presenting than she ultimately became. And she went through her own struggles and transitions, which is, um, that's just information for you listeners. As I'm talking about being attracted to femme women, she went through a transition where she became more masculine and that was true to her authentic self. And I, I loved that person. And so uh, that's another, another piece of the fluidity that is, you know, attraction and sexuality. I love that person. And so her transition into something that was more comfortable for her didn't diminish my love for her. It just so happens that, you know, sight unseen, I tend to be attracted to more feminine women, but I'm, open like many of us are right, right. to right. loving a human being and, and whatever they become doesn't make us doesn't diminish our love for them no not usually I mean you definitely have the, the odd case where somebody's like I just can't deal with this right yeah it's, it's not, it doesn't work for me but right you know and in, in, in large part we fall in love with a person mm-hmm. and and that person and I think that there is a very um, important piece of like if this person is becoming a true 
true to who they are, you want to love that and support that more. Absolutely. Right? I'm not sure that everyone can. Yeah, sure. But, but you hope that that's what you get on board with. Like, mm-hmm. I'm this person's finding their joy and their and their happiness in this becoming more of this thing. And it may not be what you you know what what they were from the start. Yeah, maybe not. But you want to hopefully support that in some in some ways. And some people can, and some people cannot. Yeah, I feel exactly. I feel very lucky that I have loved this person for a third of my life and, and watched her grow into who she is. And, and our reasons for not being together anymore have nothing to do with that piece. Right. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you said that because it's important for people to know. But I, but I, like I said, there are some people, you know, who can't still, they just can't get on board, yeah. you know? And so kudos to you for staying on board for, for, you know, in that way and letting letting them become who they who they were or who they are, I should say. Um, but, you know, other things came to play, it sounds like. And yeah. so that, you know, it made it so that you guys couldn't be together, which is which is very unfortunate. And I'm sure that's that's very hard for you. So I respect that. Um, but I, I appreciate you mentioning and and seeing, you know, being a witness to what you know that person your 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 you know ex-partner had gone through yeah and understanding that it's it's very different from your experience even though your experience has its own challenges sure yeah you know so you, you i can respect that in many different Thank ways you. Yeah. i've seen that on, on so many levels so i completely <laughs> understand it um all right so we have run out of time we have done a, wow we covered a lot of ground i know your story is fantastic <laughs> I love it I love it Hannah thank you so much for sharing this with my us my absolute this pleasure this has been Corinne. amazing I loved it you guys uh, please um, listen to the story give us the comments give us your comments give us your feedback on what you think about it um, and in the meantime spread the word subscribe to the podcast we hope to see you guys next time we're going to be bringing more stories and more style journeys uh, we didn't talk too much about Hannah's uh, style today but that's, well, that's because okay. maybe, we, maybe next time right maybe the next time but because there were so many important things that I really wanted her to share and she did and I really wanted to talk about those things and you know I um we we'll get back to style. We, we won't we won't drop it. I can but, talk all day. Oh about my style. <laughs> Don't you worry. All right. Well, then there might be a part two with Hannah. So you guys <laughs> may not have heard all of Hannah. She's going to talk about style when she comes back next time. But thank you so much, guys. Subscribe to the podcast. We love having you here. Please go ahead and feel free to uh, comment. You know, send us DMs. Ask your questions. You know, you know, follow us. Tell other people about the podcast. We love having you here. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.